I think the first thing that I would want people to know and that I learned and that was a revelation to me is the reality is that nobody does better under pressure. That is a myth. It's time! Work! Play! I want to connect the listeners to the best of the best. Welcome to the Evolved Broker Podcast. I am your host, Pat Costello, the co-founder and principal at Evolve MGA. Our mission for the podcast is to bring the insurance industry the best of the best. In this episode, I spoke with the New York Times bestselling author of the book, Performing Under Pressure, the science of doing your best when it matters most. His name is Dr. Hank Weisinger. Dr. Hank is a pioneer in the emerging science of pressure management. He has consulted to and conducted workshops with dozens of Fortune 500 companies, government agencies, professional organizations, and has taught numerous business school executive education programs and executive MBA programs, including Wharton, UCLA, Cornell, NYU, Penn State, and Columbia. He has also made over 500 television and radio appearances, including The Today Show, Good Morning America, Oprah, NPR, and ESPN. We discussed the biggest takeaways from his best-selling book, Performing Under Pressure. We talked about the science of pressure and specific actionable takeaways to help you in the next big conversation, sales call, game, match, or competition. This is something that everybody needs to hear. Please download, subscribe, and leave a review on whatever platform you are listening on. And feel free to reach out to me at pat at evolvedbrokerpodcast.com with any comments or suggestions for the podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by First Insurance Funding. First is the leading premium finance company in insurance and is known throughout the industry for their personalized service and quote flexibility. If you're tired of sending quote requests for smaller premiums to multiple companies, not leaving enough time to negotiate larger opportunities, then choose FIRST as your primary financing source and experience the FIRST difference today. Without further ado, here's Dr. Hank. Dr. Hank, welcome to the Evolved Broker Podcast. Thank you for uh, inviting me. I'm happy to be here. The goal of my conversation today is to talk with you about some of the major takeaways from your book, Performing Under Pressure, which I think is one of the most invaluable instruction manuals for someone that is has a big moment coming up, whether it's a presentation, a sales call, a big meeting, speaking with your boss, maybe you're an athlete and uh, you're, you're playing in a big game or you gotta hit a big shot. Um, it's all about how to perform well under pressure. And I really like, Dr. Hank, how you break it, break it down between kind of the science behind pressure and then some actionable takeaways for um, dealing with pressure in the moment and long-term. But one point I'd like to start on is the uh, topic that you bring up that involves, in the beginning, the science of pressure with Michael Jordan. And I wanna bring this up because I literally had this poster on my wall when I was a kid that talked about his failures. 
and you discuss how clutch performers don't get better in clutch moments. Or maybe there's no such thing as clutch performers in general. They just perform consistently. Can you break down some of the science behind pressure and how pressure really works? Sure. You know, one of the things that I want, and then I also want to distinguish between pressure and stress because I find a lot of people confuse those two and that creates havoc in your life, which I'll explain in a, uh, in a few minutes. I think the first thing that I would want people to know and that I learned and that was a revelation to me is the reality is that nobody does better under pressure. That is a myth that we rise to the occasion. Have you ever seen the movie The Natural with Robert Redford? I actually have not seen it. Okay, so the end is every baseball fan has seen it a million times. Uh, the player's up with bases loaded. The game is on the line. And, of course, he hits the game-winning home run. Now, okay. the reality is in the book he struck out, and that is closer to reality. The edge, what I realized and found based on data, is not rising to the occasion. It's not doing worse. That's the key. The C student, for example when they take their SATs, is never going to rise to the occasion and get perfect scores unless they cheat. Yeah. However, many times, the A student will choke. Choking means that you do below your ability when you want to do your best. Mm -hmm. So if I'm taking a test and I've already locked into an A, I could care less. Getting a C on the test is not a choke. Uh -huh. I didn't care. Yeah. If I am a baseball pitcher, and I've already won 25 games and uh, we've clinched the pennant and I really don't care anymore. Uh, and I get knocked out in the third inning. I'm not choking. I'm just not making the effort that is required. So choking is a reality. Rising to the occasion is a total myth. That's the first thing I want people to remember. And that should be very empowering mm -hmm. because what that means that when you are in a key situation, a pressure situation, and that means the pressure situation, pressure moment, is a very important situation to you where the outcome is dependent on your performance. Like when you make a sales presentation, that can be a pressure moment because the outcome depends on your mm -hmm. performance. And the more important it is, this is part of pressure dynamics, the more important you make something, the more pressure you experience. Mm -hmm. If I'm running a sales department and I'm telling my people, this is just another sales call. Yep. It's not the most important sales call you've ever made. It's not the most important client that you will ever had. Yep. This is where parents inadvertently put pressure on their kids. This is the most important test you ever take. Now they're well-intentioned. Yeah. They want to help their kid, but telling them it's the most important, ironically, increases the pressure and makes them do worse. It's counterintuitive, but the best thing a parent can say before the SATs is just another test. Yeah. And Why would the A student do anything different? Right. And I'm thinking about all the athletes that come to mind as clutch performers. If you think about like a Tom Brady or a Tiger Woods or a Michael Jordan what you're saying is they don't actually perform better when the heat is on, when they're in the pressure of the moment. They actually just perform consistently to how they performed in the season or potentially a little bit worse. Is that, am I thinking about it the right way? 
Yes. For, so, for example, the only way the best team loses to the worst team is if the best team chokes. Yep. If they both play to their ability, the best team wins every, all the time. Every time, yeah. Tiger Woods, when he was at his peak, or if he played his best, nobody beats him. Yeah. The only time he would lose is if he choked, if he played below his ability. So yeah. Brady throws the touchdown pass in the last minute or last 10 seconds of the game, but everybody forgot he threw the interception at halftime on the last play of, of halftime. Yeah. He's just the best. Right. He's always good. And so that is an important one. Yes, consistency trumps rising to the occasion, yeah. which is a myth. Yeah. And I on my poster of Michael Jordan, it listed all of his failures, how many game winning shots he missed. Um, you know, the the every area where he fell short. And we all remember the shot of Michael Jordan against the Jazz, but it kind of blew my mind how you listed the stat of he was actually just 15 of 35 that night, which is wild to me. There is, there, you know, one person once said, I was talking to a bunch of financial advisors, mm -hmm. and we were talking about like the idea of competition, which is a natural pressure inducer. And competition many times brings out the worst in people, not the best. Why do smart kids cheat? Yeah. If they're so smart, why do they cheat? Uh, it is the pressure of having to get into the right school and so on. Right. And a, a lady made a comment is that when she looks at other people's performance, that it motivates her. And so how can I explain that it brings out the worst? And my response was, well, then you're not doing your best every day. Yeah. It, 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 the best a, a basketball player might be able to jump, say, is uh, a vertical leap. I'm just using these numbers. I don't know how accurate they would be. Right. Uh, say 36 inches. In a big game, what do you think? He's going to be able to jump 45 inches because somebody else can? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't happen it's like that. Happen. Right. Notice how some baseball players, Derek Jeter is an exception. He hit a ground ball to the pitcher and he would sprint to first base. Mm -hmm. He did his best every time. Mm-hmm not sporadically. Yeah. So I would say that when we think of a pressure moment, we're thinking of this, this is why we feel the feeling of anxiety. Anxiety is another word for uncertainty. Mm -hmm. So if, if somebody was giving a meeting with a client and they knew 100% that the client is going to give them a lot of business, you think the salesperson feels any pressure? You think if you knew that you were getting 100 on a test in advance or that when your team is up by 15 points in the last three seconds, are you, you're not on the edge of your chair yeah. because there is no uncertainty. So the more uncertain you are, the more pressure and anxiety you will experience, which puts you behind the eight ball. Mm -hmm. So a competent broker making a call has a huge edge over the broker who is lower on competence. Mm -hmm. The idea of dealing with pressure is that you need to be confident so you can be all in. Mm -hmm. If you're not all, if you're not confident, it's hard to make your best effort. And the difference between pressure and stress is that pressure is kind of a do or die moment. Like you make the sale or you don't, you win the game or you don't. And there's a high degree of uncertainty. Is there any other 
factors that go into yeah, creating a pressure it, moment? Yeah, th there are many ways that you can reduce stress. If you're having a stressful day, I can tell you to take a nap. I can tell you a joke. I yeah. can tell you to go on a vacation. With pressure, there's only one response in a pressure moment, successful completion of the task. Mm -hmm. So the quarterback can tell a joke in the huddle to relax everybody, but he still has to throw the pass. Yeah. The same thing with the pilot. With, so that is a big difference between stress and pressure. And stress, there are many ways to decrease the feeling of being overwhelmed. When people feel stress, they're feeling overwhelmed, exhausted, tired. A lot of demands are being made upon them. They don't have the resources or they don't perceive they have the resources to respond effectively. If you have too many financial bills and not enough money, then you will experience financial stress. So stress is a demand made upon you and you have to respond. And when those demands overload your resources, that's when you really feel stressed out. Pressure is when you are in a situation and you have to perform the task. Relaxation is important, but you still have to do it. The subjective feelings of pressure, anxiety, fear, embarrassment if you fail. Going on a vacation doesn't help you deal with pressure. Mm -hmm. Going on a vacation helps you deal with stress, stress. because it re-energizes you. And when you compare the two, like if you were to say, okay, this podcast is over at one fifteen, and then I have to get to the cleaners by two because they close. If you were, nothing's going to happen to you if you don't get to the cleaners. You right. have other clothes yeah. and, and so on. Or you can delegate, tell somebody to pick it up. So when we confuse a stressful situation and we make it a do or die situation by the way we exaggerate it in our thoughts, for example, distort you know, the reality. We say things like, this is a disaster, and so on. We're wasting valuable psychological resources that mm -hmm. we could use uh, for better purposes. Yeah. So here's the, what I want people to remember as a takeaway. Pressure or stress. Ask yourself, do I have to perform? If the answer is yes, that is most likely a pressure situation. Do I feel overwhelmed? If the answer is yes, that is a stressful situation. Mm -hmm. And then you decide how you want to respond. Right. And there are different ways of dealing with both. If we're talking about pressure-related situations, it sounds like the key to performance is minimizing the feelings around that pressure or minimizing the feelings of uncertainty, anxiety, fear. And you have some really specific tactics that help us deal with a lot of those emotions. Um, and actually, Dr. Hank, you have, to be clear, in your book, you have 21 methods of dealing with those emotions in the moment to minimize the effects of pressure. Um, and so I can just read these off really quick, and then I would love to just go deeper into where you think we should start and what, which of these tactics are most effective. And then, well, let me, go ahead. Yeah, let me just say one thing, that you made a really important comment, okay. that the idea of dealing pressure is to get rid of the fear, the anxiety, uh, you know, that we have. And that is what the pressure solutions do. 
Okay. They distract people, as we will see. There's only one reason, only one reason that people do poorly in a pressure moment. Now we can put labels on it like they choked and whatever, but the bottom line is it is a distraction. Mm-hmm. Other things are coming into play. And a lot of the things that come into play are, uh-oh, what will my boss say if I don't close this sale? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden that dominates my thinking and then I forget what I'm supposed to say to the client across from me. So if I can get rid of that thought, then I will be able to focus more on my client and give the appropriate information that can help me uh, make a sale. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So the 21 items, I'm just going to list them quickly, are thinking of pressure moments as a challenge or an opportunity slash fun, qualify the situation as this is one of many opportunities Number three, shrink the importance of the pressure moment. Focus on the mission. Expect the unexpected. Affirm your self-worth. Flash back to previous successes. Be positive before and during high-pressure moments. Tune into your senses. Focus on what you can control. Listen or sing a favorite tune. Use a holistic word to guide performance. Practice experiencing pressure. Squeeze a ball. Write out concerns about a high-pressure situation you're facing. Practice meditation. Create and practice a pre-routine. Slow down your responses. Regulate your breathing. Go first. And finally, communicate your feelings of being under pressure. And so when I was reading this list, Dr. Hank, I was like, these are all phenomenal tactics, but it's a little bit overwhelming for me to think about all these if I'm going into a pressure-related situation. How do you think about these? Is there, is there a place to start or is there ones you think are more important than others? Or do you think some yeah. of these are more effective for certain people than for others? Great question. And a good way to categorize a bunch of them is to think of what is the mindset, which I have discovered, of people who do well under, a, under pressure. And, and let me clarify what well means. Performing closest to your capabilities, yep. closest to your abilities that is what that is what i mean and the mindset which is basically the first few that you have mentioned the most important discovery that i found was what separates people who do close to their best under pressure versus those who perform way below their capability is perception of the situation this is what i mean when i say you must befriend the moment that If you see pressure, a pressure moment as threatening, like a test as threatening, oh, I'm never going to get into the school now when I have to take this test, or this presentation is going to be a disaster and I'm going to get a bad performance appraisal, that hinders you tremendously. Go back to the beginning, early man. Who has a better chance of jumping over the cliff? The one who says, hey, This is an opportunity. I'm going to have fun actually doing this. Or the person who says, I don't think I can make it. Right. Okay. Derek Jeter gave me the quote that uh, baseball, he said, there's always pressure. He said, well, when he's up at bat, he thinks that this is fun. That's exactly what the point. So the interesting paradox that I found is that elite athletes don't even use the word pressure because they don't feel it because they don't think of it as a do or die situation. Yeah. 
they're thinking is this is an opportunity. You know, Billie Jean King made one of the dumb comments. Uh, pressure is a privilege. No, I've never heard an athlete say, I want more pressure. Uh-huh. Well, I think what she meant is playing in the big game is a privilege. And that's a good way of looking at it because then it's fun. It's an opportunity. When I first started giving presentations at UCLA when I was teaching, I was nervous as hell the first time. Yeah. Why? Because I'm telling myself, if I'm not good, they'll never use me again. My Business will be a disaster, yada, yada, yada. Uh, as soon as I started saying, this is a great opportunity to promote myself and sell books, uh, I requested always to give me a short introduction so I can have more time speaking. Wow. Change everything. So that's the first thing I want people to get in touch with is to see a pressure moment as an opportunity, as a challenge, as a fun. Managers should say, this is a challenge for us. This is an opportunity on that. Have you ever noticed now that you hear every college basketball coach always say, the last thing they say is have fun out there? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So that's the first. Yeah, uh, really quick on that, Dr. Hank. So to reinforce the fact that it's fun, should we be thinking about like, you know, potentially like the reward, like for example, the celebration after the game or, um, you know, the, the money that's coming in the bank account after you close the deal, like, is there ways to reinforce the fact that it's fun? Because I feel like you, you know, your, your mind yes. works in odd ways where it's like, okay, maybe this isn't actually fun. You know, like how can you reinforce the fun or the opportunity to the challenge? Well, you have to experience it as fun. Yeah. You, you know, I, I said three things. I said an opportunity or a challenge. So I can't say to somebody doing their ho- kid. I wouldn't want a mother to say their son or daughter doing their homework. Oh, it's fun. Yeah. It's not fun. That's why it's called homework, but, right. if it, but it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. See, if you can, see if you can handle that math problem. See if you can write that essay. Yeah. This is an opportunity to show your teacher what you can, what you can do. So the fun has to, otherwise it's a crazy mismatch. This isn't fun and so on. Yeah. So that's just one thing. I found giving presentations for me is fun. This isn't, what, what is this doing? This is fun for me. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm watching my 77-inch OLED uh, LG TV set. <laughs> so this is this is this is fun. I'm having a good time. I don't feel any pressure. But uh-huh. I did my first podcast. I felt pressure. Yeah. I did too. I did too. I feel none now, though. Well, that's good to hear. And one of the things that has probably, and you'll be the judge, is once it's like TED Talks. Uh-huh. I refuse to do a TED Talk. And the really? reason why, yeah, they asked me to rehearse. Huh. I, I don't rehearse. I'm like Sinatra, one take. That's it. <laughs> That's awesome. So you, that, you, that, you enjoy that, that freedom. And, and now it, well, let me tell you why people, how many presenters on TED Talk have I heard that start out, they say, oh, they're nervous or whatever. And I will tell you why. They think they're giving a performance. Ah. That's the problem. Okay. See, when you, when you are giving a performance, you feel like you are being evaluated. That's another pressure component. Okay. So, so when, yeah, when you're my boss and you're in the back of the room watching me make a presentation, that adds to the pressure because I feel I am being evaluated mm-hmm. and that increases the amount of pressure. I have to be responsible to somebody else. Why do you think kids say, I'll practice, mom. Get out of my room, though, before I practice. They don't want the parent 
observing. Yeah. That's why one of the precious solutions is to take out your smartphone when you are doing a presentation and video yourself. Mm-hmm. So you get used to being observed. Yeah. Plus you plus you you learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Always think in multiple opportunities. That was another, that's another part of the mindset. So a lot of people they put they exaggerate the pressure when they say, Oh, I'm never gonna get another opportunity again. So the casting director says, listen, this this audition, Spielberg's in the audience. You're never going to get an opportunity like this again. Yeah. It took me a very short time to realize that no matter how bad I gave, I was giving a presentation, when I would get home, there'd be uh, 10 more recordings on my um, answering machine. Could you speak and so on and so on. <laughs> there is always another. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I was giving a presentation one time to 500 financial advisors. Okay. And this was in, uh, I think, Montreal or Toronto. So one guy, young guy, asked a question. How do you handle the pressure of calling up a girl that you really like? He said, I I feel a a lot of pressure. Before I could even respond, another young gentleman jumped up and said, just remember, there's 500 other girls waiting for the same call. <laughs> you know, I'm glad somebody else said that, because if uh-huh. I said that, it would have been politically, uh, <laughs> right. you, know, you know, incorrect. That's Multiple opportunities. Yeah. There's always a bus. There's always another plane driving to the airport when I used to live in L.A. Oh, my God, I'm going to miss the plane and whatever and so on. Uh-huh. And yet, so what? I finally realized there's an 11 o'clock. There's a 12 o'clock. Yeah. There's one every hour to San Francisco. What is the big deal? Mm-hmm. Now I can just relax. Mm-hmm. You still end up making the play. So always think in multiple opportunities because that takes away from the do or die. Yeah. So yeah. just just curious, Dr. Hanks. So when you go up and you give a talk, you're, you're one shot, one kill. You are not going to rehearse and you're going up. Do you know what you're going to say? When you go up, or do you just have a general idea of like the major agenda items? No, if if, if I knew what I was going to say, I'd be a professional speaker. Okay, I am a professional educator, just like you are educating people. This isn't a speech for you. Yeah. You don't say the same questions to everybody. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'm saying that you said you used to be nervous. It's now because you're forgetting about the performance and you're just seeking information to bring to your to your listeners. Yep. And that makes all the difference in the world. When I was on Good Morning America, this is live TV, there's three producers asking me questions. I find, you know, five minutes before you go on, I finally said to them, I'm not Harrison Ford. I don't need a script. I don't need to rehearse. Yeah. And I realized I'm going to say what I want to say anyway. Uh-huh. So, and that's when the confidence starts to build. So these, these pressure solutions that you mentioned are all microcosms mm-hmm. of confidence and optimism, tenacity and enthusiasm. That's why you have to know how to make yourself enthusiastic sometimes. Let's say you're giving a podcast and you've had a terrible day and you've had personal bad news and yet you, ha- you want to be enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. So what can you do to make yourself enthusiastic? You know, one strategy that I tell people is to play upbeat music that makes you enthusiastic. Before you have a meeting with your staff, uh, give yourself one minute of YMCA and you'll be in a much better <laughs> mood and upbeat mood as soon as you, uh, as soon as you start. Yeah. So we have befriend the moment, uh, multiple opportunities. Steve Nash, basketball player, 
that every time he was shooting a foul shot, would go through his mind is, I've done this 10,000 times before. Every time I give a presentation, I've done this so many times before. Why would I be, why would I be nervous? Yeah. That's when you can start to think, in fact, I've done it 10,000 times. I can make the, I'll, I'll make this even better. And then it becomes even more fun. Uh-huh. So remembering your past successes in the moment can give you a sense of confidence in the moment and reduce those feelings of anxiety. Okay. Can you give the audience an idea of what they should be doing for like a pre-routine before the pressure pressure situation, because I, I you had some specifics in there of like, here's kind of the way you should approach the pre routine to make sure you're in the right state before you go in. Do you have my book in front of you? I do. I do. Go to the pre routine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and tell me. I know that there are steps. Yes, I actually have. Uh, I have notes in front of me. So I'll, okay. yeah, I'll, I'll go through uh, a couple bullet points. So what I have should be short, three to five minutes. Yes. In fact, the shorter, the better is, remember the idea of a pre-routine is yeah. to get yourself into, some people call it, you know, the mindset, mm -hmm. the, the flow that you're getting ready to, um, getting ready to go into your performance zone. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's what a PT said. So yes, it should be short, something that you can do quickly. Yep. What was the next one? Next one is do it, make sure you do it right before the pressure situation. It should have a mental component. So potentially reviewing strategy, looking at your agenda. If you're like a golfer, maybe you're going through your clubs to plan out what you're going to use where. So that's, that was like the next major point. And then having a physical component, whether it's your stance, your posture, um, breathing in a specific way, maybe moving your toes to show that you are in control of your body in a given situation. Yes, that is a good point that you just made. The purpose of that is to remind people that we are in charge of our physiology in terms of our physical arousal. Some people physically, people should ask, how do they feel pressure physically? For some people, it's the butterflies mm -hmm. in the stomach. Other times, uh, people will cramp up and get tension in the, uh, get tension in the, uh, in the neck or something. Mm -hmm. So moving around and loosening your body is great, but also, uh, it also jazzes you up. For example, one of my pre-routines before I would give a presentation is I do two minutes of the alley shuffle where I'm bobbing and weaving right before I'm introduced. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm jazzed up. I was once in Kansas City giving mm -hmm. a talk to Land of Lake, the butter company. Okay. And I went to graduate school at University of Kansas. So I still had friends there. Went out, you know, the night before and so on. So I'm sitting in one of those big lobby chairs uh, and the lady who was introducing me came up to me and said, Dr. Weisinger, are you going to be a little more enthusiastic when you give you a presentation? <laughs> and I remember saying to her, I said, I was so tired. I said, yeah, I'm just not wasting it, but I'll be ready. <laughs> and then, you know, then I gave myself the alley shuffle, bobbing and weaving, juicing myself up. I was ready to roll. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So the next. You know, one of my favorites that is tied up to that. Yep. That I, that I use more. 
uh, is what I call a uh, holistic word cue. Okay. So I would say to you, give me one word that would describe how you want to be, how you want to come across when you do one of your podcasts. One word. Silky. Okay. So a holistic word cue means before you start your podcast, that's the word you say to yourself. And everything that is associated that will come, will come in. I asked my son, who's a recruiter uh, and a successful one, you know, one word, give me one word. Mm. And he said, professional. I said, okay. Now you think in terms of uh, everything that makes you professional rather than having to think of a million different types of things. One word is a much better strategy uh, to, to use. Okay. Got it. The other thing on this physical component is you talk a lot about how your posture can affect your testosterone, which has a direct impact on cortisol and your ability to deal with pressure. So sitting in like a power stance or with like your arms up, like you just won a game with your head tilted up. The science behind it sounds like it has an impact on the way that you actually feel. Yeah, I, I do have to say though, since that came out, because that was in 2015, yeah. that there has been some data that shows that is not necessarily as powerful as the research first made it to be. But just remember, when you were growing up, uh, how many times your mother told you to stand up straight? Yeah. Right. Why do you think the uh, drill sergeant, you know, chest out and so on? Now, from an evolutionary perspective, obviously, when you stood up, it allowed you to reach higher to pull fruit mm -hmm. off the tree. So there became an advantage to people who had good posture, you know, in straight up. Okay. Um, but I do know is that subjectively, people can just ask themselves, try out different stances and see how you feel. Okay. And if, if it feels good, if it feels, you know, confident and so on, uh, whatever that power stance, as Jack Black would call it in... Um, School of Hard Rock, yeah. uh, right? Um, then, then use it. My idea as a psychologist is use whatever works, mm -hmm. you know, you know, for you know, for you. Okay. And the idea of having multiple solutions is that if one doesn't work, then you try another. I do know that reframing the situation as an opportunity, as fun, as a challenge, rather than seeing it as threatening does make a world of difference and is crucial for competence um, building. Mm -hmm. Writing down. So let's say that some of the folks listening have a presentation tomorrow. Okay. Okay. One of the things I would tell them to do is to write down their anxieties tonight. I don't care how hokey this sounds. Okay. What we have found is that writing down your concerns, your anxieties the night before, whether it's a presentation, a test, a big game, reduces the chances that those negative thoughts will surface during the pressure moment. Interesting. Yeah, it's like, let's say that you've had a um, personal problem. So you talk to 10 of your friends, all, this is all you do all day. Mm -hmm. Then at 11 o'clock, your 11th friend calls you and they say, what's going on? And you say, oh, 
I don't want to talk about it. I'm sick of talking about it. Right. You've gotten it out of your system. Uh-huh. That's the point. You've written these thoughts. You're getting it all out the night before. So when you haven't, you, know, you don't even want to think about it anymore. Yeah. It's like you get tired of listening to that stuff. So if you're so that's a strategy. So are you writing like the worst case scenario? Or just you're just your general thoughts and anxieties that that come up when you think about the event? Yes. So it might be if I if I was a high school student taking SATs, my anxieties is I won't do as well as I thought I, I, I'm going to do. I'm going to disappoint my uh, my parents. Um, I'll be embarrassed with my friends and so on. These are all my anxieties. And now when I take it to test the morning of, I'm less likely to have those have those thoughts. Okay. Okay. Got you. And a lot of the stuff, especially for like a presentation is super applicable to my next week here because I'm the co-best man at a wedding on Saturday. And so we've done a good amount of practice with our best man speech, but I know you have, I know you have some insight here. Yeah. Okay. So I guess it was 2018. I used to live in LA. One of my closest friends' son was getting married. So naturally, I went out to the wedding. And his, it was his oldest son who was getting married. And his youngest son was going to give, you know, the speech, you know, like the best man speech. Yeah. And he was really nervous. So his father said to him, go speak to Hank. So he comes into my room. And after two minutes, I realized what was going on. And I told him, I said, Robbie, I said, this is not a performance. You're worried that you're going to give a good talk. All you need to do is come from a place of love. This is your chance to tell everybody how much you love your brother and how happy you are for him. This is just between you and him. Everybody else in the room is irrelevant. You're not, the only reason you're at, you think you're getting up in front of 150 people and you have to perform. You're not an entertainer. Uh Just speak from your heart. Uh, His father told me that helped him immensely. And that's what I would recommend. You're performing? You see this best friend all the time and you now have to rehearse giving a a speech? That's Uh TED Talk. Yeah. That's why, that's why, I mean, I'll be, I don't care who's listening. I've never watched a TED Talk that I can even watch for more than two minutes. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Uh-huh. I mean, maybe I'll, maybe on YouTube, I'll watch Morgan Freeman. I'll watch Matt Damon, Cruz, Nicholson, and so on. Mm-hmm. And, and or, or somebody that's funny, even that, three minutes, and you're having me watch this 15-minute uh, TED Talk mm-hmm. where a person is basically thinks they are a performer and everything, it's a rote, from rote memory? Yeah. That's why they're so bad. Right. So I have to let you in on the speech that we've practiced. It's going to be unique. And it's gonna, there's going to be a lot of comedy in there. But we actually decided on singing a song. Right. So I'm like a little bit like, ah, it, it's, it feels a little bit like a performance just based on the fact that we have to sing this song. And we have, to, we have basically changed the lyrics to this song to be about... Um, your friend, the, our friend. Yeah. But it totally applies. Like so much of this, the content applies directly to him. It's he's going to get all of it. You know, most of the audience is going to be like, Oh, this is kind of funny that they're doing this, but you know, it's, it's, he's going to get 
a kick out of the majority of it. And that's all that is important. Mm -hmm. This is your way and your friends of expressing love towards your friend by doing something fun. And I will tell you the story I just told you, the father at his daughter's wedding wrote a song from uh, Hamilton uh, where he rewrote it. And at his wedding, he wrote a wedding song using the um, tune from Talking Baseball. Wow. Talking Baseball. Okay. So that is a great idea. And as I said, it's not a performance. It's just having fun and uh, you'll have a good time. Yeah. Well, the other thing I, I saw you do in an interview once is you had a, it's like a stress ball specifically in your left hand. Yes. Right. Here we go. Yes. The pressure ball. Can you talk pressure about the science of that? Yes. First of all, this only works if you're a righty. Okay. So I'm a righty. You are a, Okay. And what you do, if you're a righty, before a pressure moment, a few seconds before, is you take a ball, could be a golf ball also, tennis ball, or a pressure ball, and squeeze it. And what the squeezing does is it interrupts the ruminating thinking that is going on in the language area of your brain, uh, and that will prevent the thoughts from choking. Now it only works if you are a righty because opposite parts of the body control different areas of the, of the, of the brain. And the left side controls the language area of the, of the brain. Okay. So that's why you have to squeeze your, your, your left fist and it will interrupt those thoughts. And also if there are only, now I will tell you, how did I learn about that? Mm-hmm. Back in 2013, a friend of mine at Harvard sent me a research article that was done in a sports journal where they compared three different sports. I think bowling was one, um, badminton might have been another. I forgot what the third was. And all the athletes who were given this as the intervention did statistically significantly better. That was before anybody had ever heard of, of this. That's why it was important to have these studies. Uh, now, if you look it up on the internet, you will see it all over the place. That went really mainstream viral. It was in the Atlantic and so on. It's all over the, the internet. So I don't want people to think that it's silly. It's, it's really hardcore neurological science, which I don't pay a lot of attention to, um, but it is there and that is a very effective strategy. Are lefties out of luck or can they just put in their right hand? Nope. Lefties are out of luck. Brutal. Brutal for the lefties. (laughs) Yeah. How many lefty golfers do you see though? Very interesting point. You see a lot of lefty hitters though in baseball. Yep. Yep. So, and, but you mentioned you could also do it with just like, if you don't have a ball, you could just squeeze your just left hand. Your fist. Just yeah, your what fist. I wanted to say, one of the things they found very important application is for senior people who get up in the middle of the night and they have to walk down the stairs because they become so careful, they trip. And by squeezing, it's recommended that senior people clench their left fist because it inter- it won't interrupt the coordination of the movements. You, you notice when you first learn to drive, you get in the car and you had check the mirror and, and, you know, look to your left, right, and seatbelt on and so look over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. You don't even think about that now. You do it automatically. If you thought about really being carefully 
backing out of your garage, you probably scrape the um, scrape it on the side. Yeah. So it, it, this is this. I now know when a sports announcer says they're thinking too much, what that means. It means that the person is thinking about what they're doing rather than just trusting their uh, experience. And by slowing it down, it actually interrupts the fluidity of their motor coordination. Right. It, so, that's an, so with mental activities, uh-huh. you want to slow yourself down so that you can think more clearly. But physical activities, physical act, like, cause like I actually, this is one of the most interesting parts of the book for me was for like, you mentioned like a player on the Orlando magic who misses two free throws, gets a rebound, misses two, two additional free throws. The guy's a great free throw shooter. And then like the Houston Rockets come back and, and they end up winning the game. And you're saying when, when it's a physical movement, slowing down or overanalyzing like, oh, I got to bend my legs at this amount or I'm really focusing on my follow through. That could cause you to overanalyze, overthink, and then, and then you just, you're going to miss. Do you ever see the movie Tin Cup? No, I haven't seen it. Uh, With uh, Cheech and Don Johnson and uh, there was... um the guy who was in Waterworld, but uh, Kevin Costner, okay. he's a golfer and he's shanking his shots and so on. Mm-hmm. So his caddy comes up and he says, look, here's what I want you to do. You put, you know, uh, three pennies in your left pocket. I want you to, you know, uh, put this on your head and whatever. And then all of a sudden he starts shooting great. He says, what am I doing? He says, you're not thinking. <laughs> okay. He's thinking how much of a fool he looked like rather than thinking about his, his um his swing yeah okay okay got you so and that's a that's a key difference because with when it's something physical you don't want necessarily want to stop and slow down but when it's something mental and you have to respond for example you're in a sales call and you get asked a a question that's kind of out of the blue that you didn't expect that's where you want to slow down right and slow down your thoughts and your response One of the things I'd recommend to people listening is that when they do business over the phone and not even business, they have a three by five card uh, on their desk and written on it, uh, breathe slowly, you know, listen, don't interrupt because those are all behaviors that happen when we start to get physically aroused. If you're in a discussion with a partner, as soon as arousal starts to increase, uh, listening starts to diminish interrupting starts to increase and the situation can escalate. So, you know, when somebody would call me, you know, I would have like for an interview, not anymore, but because I made many mistakes by getting defensive and so on. So I countered that by having reminders, do not interrupt, listen to what the person is saying, respond to the question, watch your voice, no reason to get upset. And that all helps me handle myself better in the moment. And the person can't see what you're doing anyway. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Another big point I liked that I actually, so I had to go through speech practice from when I was in like first grade through eighth grade at my school. Every year you, there was like a speech competition and it, it applies really specifically to one point that you made about going first. Like if you're in a group or if you, 
you know, I have to sit through a bunch of presentations. If you can go first, you maintain a serious competitive advantage and you depressurize the situation in a huge way. Can you talk about that and like the science behind why you should always go first if you're in sure. that situation? So let's say that you and I are having a uh, basketball shooting contest, yeah. best out of free throws. Person is first or second. Conventional wisdom many times says go second because you want to see how your opponent does. Now, let's say I go first. Let's say I make mine. Now you go second. You have to make your shot just to tie. Okay. Okay. And if I miss my first shot, you still have to make yours to go ahead. Now, where does the data come from? Uh, penalty shots in hockey, penalty kicks in World Cup soccer, the team that goes first has a huge statistical advantage. Now, the reason it doesn't, you can't say that with football is because that's a team game. You mm -hmm. have to remember penalty shots in hockey, that's one person yep. on that. It's better when you're thinking that you're ahead rather than when you have to catch up. A significant difference between free throw shooters is that if you are a point down, you're thinking that you, if you make the shot, you can tie. But if you're a point up, you're thinking you can increase the lead. And that is less pressure because if you miss, you still have the lead at that particular, at that particular moment. Mm -hmm. So now it's a presentation. There's four insurance guys in front of me. This is gonna be, I'm the boss or the client. All right, group interview. I don't have time to see you individually. Uh, who wants to give their pitch first? Again, conventional wisdom, sit back, let the other people go, then I can see what they say. But the problem is everybody now starts comparing themselves to everybody who went before them. And then you start twisting. Your presentation will not be the same as if you went first. Yeah. Because now you're trying to compensate. I got to say this because this person said this and whatever, and you become all over the place. So this way, you go first and you put the pressure on other people. They have to be better than you. I'd rather have people who have to be better than me than me have to be better than them. Yeah. On top of that, your audience has a lot more energy in the beginning. And I think that could diminish over time. But beyond that, like, if you're going first, you're doing your best. As opposed yeah, to competing to with give, something else. Just to give a sales tip to the people who are listening, they're uh -huh. brokers. If you're ever in that situation and you go first, the first thing you say to the other four people is, I want you to listen because I have some good deals for you too if you guys need any insurance. <laughs> and then you add on, believe me, I can do better for you than you can do for yourself. Really? Yeah, now you get to the boss. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. Um, if anyone's listening, tries that out, you'll have to let me know. Well, that's awesome. I think, Dr. Hank, I'm, I'm fired up by a lot of this stuff because it's super, super actionable. Like a lot of the things that we talked about, someone could implement tomorrow because um, everybody, a lot of folks in our industry are doing presentations all the time, but just in life, you know, you're going to have to be in these situations at one point or another. And I think the major takeaway is don't succumb to the feelings that pre a pressure situation could bring to you if they are making you more uncertain, making you more anxious. And use that 
Yes, but use that. Use those feelings as a cue that it's time to re-examine your thoughts. Okay. Because if you are, whether it's a presentation or a sales call or an important conversation, if you are feeling anxiety before that, that is a signal that how you're talking to yourself is not helping you. It's making the situation worse. So, so when we say we don't know how to have these feelings, again, I'm going to get back to the point. It's how you appraise the situation. Anytime you feel those feelings, you are interpreting the situation as threatening. And that's when you're, it's like you're punching yourself. And what you have to do is you have to punch back. You have to punch back with, I can handle this. Mm-hmm. I've done it before. It's an opportunity. It's not the end of the world. If I screw up, there's going to be another opportunity tomorrow. I love it. That is an excellent point. And I was telling Dr. Hank before he came on, we've had uh, the number seven most viewed speaker on TED Talks come on and give his advice. We've had Carmine Gallo, who wrote the book Talk Like Ted, to come on and give his advice. But nobody has touched on how you can actually diminish the effects, the negative effects of pressure prior to, during, um, and also the long-term strategies of building confidence, enthusiasm, and um, making sure that you're just ready in general to do these actions. So I thought, honestly, your book, Dr. Hank, was one of the most valuable books I've, I've read in a long time, just because there's so many legitimate scientific takeaways. Could you hold that up again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, was, I got to get the, the pressure co- the first time. You ha- you're, okay, the cover's not on. The cover's not on, yeah, but. Okay, that's okay. The, um, what I want to do is tell people that there's a lot of free articles that I think will be helpful on my website, okay. which is hankweisingerphd.com. Okay. And, uh, and there's some uh, you know, interesting videos and I think people will find it as a good resource. There's also the performing online class on my uh, website as well. Okay. Under- and Dr. Hank, can you spell your last name just so that everyone w- gets it right? W-E-I-S-I-N-G-E-R. Perfect. And so everybody knows Dr. Hank has written multiple books, and um, I would love to have you back, back on for Anytime. a future episode. You're the man. We always end with five rapid fire questions. So these are quick curated questions that I'm sure you'll have a direct response for. So if you're ready, I can dive in. I'm ready. Okay, first one. Who is the best depressurizer athlete of all time? The best depressurizer athlete, in my opinion, of all time was Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle. Okay. For your time. Okay. And Willie Mays would have to be up there as well. Okay. We just, as a team, took a photo outside the the Willie Mays statue at Oracle Park. Yeah, Um, nice. I have an autograph ball from him. Oh, cool, cool. Did those two guys do anything unique compared to? Uh, Well, because they were, they made it easier for everybody else because they were, especially Mickey was a, from what I've read, a great teammate and kept people loose and was a practical joker. It had that sense of, you know, sense of, uh, sense of humor. Okay. Got it. Question number two, what is the best book that you feel that you've written? 
I think the best book that I feel I've written was um, the book that sold the least, The Genius of Instinct, because it was the most interesting for me. It was about how we are hardwired for success and the reason why most people are surviving rather than thriving is because they are disconnected from their thriving instincts, like mm. caregiving, like curiosity, mm. like uh, care soliciting, asking for help. Okay. I found many men, it's very difficult for them to ask for help. Disconnected. And, I, and then they paid the consequence. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. You mentioned a lot of moments in your book about people performing under pressure. This is question number three. Which one, which moment do you like most about someone overcoming the effects of pressure? I like the story of the, um, I don't remember it in detail because it's been a long time since I've read my book, uh, but there was a story about uh, a lady who had a crisis in, uh, I don't remember, was it, might've been at the um, airport or something. And she's a manager and how she kept her composure and got all the data in and she didn't lose her cool, taking it out on people she was working with. One of the findings in organizational psychology is that when people are under pressure and stress, their interpersonal relationships suffer a great deal because they become more focused on just the outcome, which is the most important thing, but also the process helps get that successful outcome. So to be really fair, I'd have to go back and really revisit and look for the examples. I, actually, my favorite example is the one that um, from Roy Hobbs from the movie that we quoted, but in reality, uh, he struck out in the in the book, as I as I as I said. Yeah, you know, it, again, it isn't overcoming pressure. It's just people doing. It's just people doing their 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 best and staying and staying focused. That's that's why. See, when we say under pressure, it's like the person's going to rise to the occasion. No, it's that they're not doing. They're not doing worst a doctor on on uh, the boston marathon a uh who they they showed him on tv he's actually helping somebody and so on they said look how he's performing under pressure no he's doing what he's trained for miraculous yeah. things that people do ironically are things that they have been trained for i locked myself out of my house in westport connecticut one time i had to call the fire department and there's no fire and they come roaring down the street. It was like three o'clock in the afternoon, beautiful summer day. And they go up the ladder to the bedroom window because that was open, you know, and then down, open the door. And I said to the guy, you know, as long as you're here, let me ask you a question. How do you run into a burning building? Uh -huh. He said, we're not even thinking about that. We're just doing what we're trained for. We don't think of it as going and taking our life in our hand, we're just wow. doing what we're paying for. Now to the outside person, it looks like, wow, running into a burning fire or whatever, but everything's calculated. They know exactly what they're, what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Is there a moment, this is question number four, is there a moment when you look back based on all the tools that you mentioned, 
where a specific tool has been really valuable for you in that moment? Yeah, I go back to that first one of when I first was starting out teaching at UCLA and it was such a big opportunity. And uh, once I changed my perception and saw it as an opportunity to do exactly what I wanted to be doing, that was a game changer for me. I mean, I used to sit on my couch with my eyes closed and rehearse a six hour presentation. Wow. You know, I mean, I, that's what I would do. My, you know, my wife at the time would say, I thought you said you were going to be working. Uh-huh. Said, you know, I am. And so I had my eyes closed and I'm visualizing <laughs> and I'm anticipating, you know, uh, what people will say in questions. And, and the, the advantage of that is a strategy. It gives you a covert model. The model's in your mind. So when the moment comes, you're just doing what you have already done mentally. Okay. And I, and I reckon, but that was the technique that really helped me, I think, um, you know, professionally. Okay, cool. Final question. I know you have a book that is either recently out or it's coming out soon called Flying Like Superman. What is, what is the book about? It's about my father was the story editor of Superman for 30 years. Cool. So I woke up every morning with him coming into my room and saying, how's this for an idea? How's this for a cover? If I could guess the ending of a story, he'd throw it out. He'd think it was too easy. So the story in the premise of the book is the same powers that made Superman successful. Loyalty, courage, um, his uh, code of truth, justice in the American way are the same powers that make us successful in everyday life. Cool. So I'm working on that. It's a labor of love. Yeah. I'm having fun. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, Dr. Hank, we are up on time here. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for the insights. I look forward to speaking with you again soon. If you're ever out in the San Francisco Bay area, don't hesitate to let me know. We'd love to get together. I will um, do that. We can go to my favorite restaurant, my treat. Um, it's that Asian restaurant, Slanted Door. Oh, yeah. That's a great one, right on the Embarcadero. Uh, that is my uh, favorite. And um, thank you for having me. I had a good time. Appreciated your questions and conversation. And I hope I can come back another time. Love it. Thank you, Dr. Hank. Please download subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you are listening on and feel free to reach out to me at pat at evolvedbrokerpodcast.com with any comments or suggestions for the podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by First Insurance Funding. First is the leading premium finance company in insurance and is known throughout the industry for their personalized service and quote flexibility. If you're tired of sending quote requests for smaller premiums to multiple companies, not leaving enough time to negotiate larger opportunities, then choose FIRST as your primary financing source and experience the FIRST difference today. 